Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. Amen. Good morning. It is good to see you all this fun, snowy, cold morning. Um, I want to thank the Lord before I get into what he's put on my heart. Um, it's just what David said where, you know, it, it's, not, it's not Thanksgiving unless you give it. Um, I want to give thanks this morning to the Lord. Have, has anybody ever had one of those weeks, like when you look ahead, you're like, I don't know how this is going to happen. You know, you just, it seems insurmountable. It's just filled with busyness and tasks and everything. And uh, last, last weekend, as we were in here, um, I was after the service talking with Jeremiah, and, uh, and, and I'll share a little bit about what we were talking about here in a second. But you know, one of the things he asked was, you know, how can I be praying for you? Um, and I just told him, I said, look, I said, you know, I, I, the Lord's given me um, a word to share, but I want to be faithful to, you know, being able to share it well and, you know, more than anything, just get out of the way. And, you know, as we, we sang, just kind of put the things of this world to the side and like fully focus on him this, this week. But it's going to be a busy week. Um, you know, I had a lot going on at work and at home and stuff like that. So I want to give thanks to the Lord that now I look back, um, not only did I make it through, but uh, it was just a sweet time with the Lord this past week for me. So, you know, I want to encourage you that if you've got one of those weeks that you're looking ahead and you're like, man, this is going to be a busy week, um, pray for that. You know, ask somebody to pray for you uh, this morning when it comes to that, that, you know, we, we don't get so wrapped up in busyness. I think the busyness is a a tool that the enemy can use to help us get distracted from really setting our full focus on the Lord and what he has to share uh, with us. So um, pray, pray, for, pray for busyness this week as, as we get ready to go into the word. But I did want to offer that thanks. Um, thanks, thanks to the Lord for stilling my, my life over the last week and, and really preparing me to share what he has um, on, my heart, on my heart this morning. So um, before, we, before we get into what that is, um, I want to share a little bit more about what uh, I was talking to Jeremiah about at the end of service last week, and if you were here, um, you heard Jeremiah share openly that the way that he taught last week um, was not his normal. Um, he felt the Lord very much press in on him to just read the word, right? He read Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and normally Jeremiah, as, as, as a lot of us do when we teach, you know, we love when we can get before the Lord and, you know, get deeper in his word and we can teach more about his word. And, you know, sometimes, as he did last week, the Lord really just pressed in on Jeremiah and said, just my word's sufficient. Just teach it. Just teach my word. And I shared with him afterwards that, you know, it's, it's humbling when you can see that God's doing things through, um, through you. Um, and, and I felt the need to share that with him, that as I was sitting there and he was talking about how the Lord was talking to him about that message, I knew for a fact that the Lord was doing something because as I prepared for this week, a couple weeks ago, um, I didn't know what the Lord was putting on Jeremiah's heart, but what the Lord had pressed in on mine was, and we're going to look at this morning, is how do we respond to the Word of God? How do we respond to the teaching of God? Um, and so it makes sense to me, and I've warned my kids, I, I try not to do this, I don't try and connect God's dots because you know, his ways are, are so much better than my ways. But when you see God moving intentionally that way where last week it's just read my word, let it teach. Meanwhile, he's preparing me to say, talk to my people about how they respond to my teaching. 
the Lord's doing something. So I, I this morning want to kind of just get before him and pray um, that I just get out of the way, uh, that the Lord's doing something here, um, and he's got, a, he's got something for us prepared. So uh, join me that we can pray for stilling the busyness and getting out of the way. So Lord, I pray that this morning. Just, just let us be still. Let us take all the busyness of, uh, that, that may be in our mind that we're just clouding things and there's clutter in there and or we're already thinking about what we're going to do this afternoon and then we're going to think about what school looks like and then we're going to think about our jobs and meetings and this and that. Lord, just put all that to the side. Lord, we come to you this morning saying we have ears to hear. We have a heart to respond. And Lord, thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for that this teaching is not of us, but it is of you. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word last week and for preparing for the message this week. Lord, I pray personally that I just get out of the way. Holy Spirit, just speak what you want to speak. And Lord, I just ask that we have the, the, the soil to receive it, that it may find root and grow and produce fruit. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I said last week, um, Jeremiah read Matthew 5 through 7, and it was incredible teaching, right? I mean, no better way. To, I mean, if we can just get up here and read the Word of God, what better way to teach? But where I want to pick up, um, where I felt the Lord just really start to, to talk to me, was actually at the very end. I know it's this past week, our reading plan, and I want to encourage you to join the reading plan, um, is more, it was chapters 11 through 15, um, but I want to, we're going to get into that, but I, I want to start right now this morning at the very end of what Jeremiah read. So if you want to go to the very end of Matthew 7, um, and we'll have it up on the screen here, I want to look at verses 28 and 29 before we get started here. In verse 28, it says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. They were astonished because it says in verse 29, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And as I was preparing for this week, it was, it was these, these two lines here that just made me pause. And it made me pause because the fact that a lot of times, you know, we, we just got done reading, you know, three chapters of the red letter Jesus teaching, right? And, and then all of a sudden it switches to this. And sometimes we could just glance right over this part of the word. But I wanted to pause this morning because it says here that the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And it made me stop enough to think, how do we receive the teaching of God? Are we astonished at his teaching? In our own lives, when we get into the word, do we come into it with that type of thinking? Lord, I, I, I want to be amazed at your teaching. Like it has that level of that, that intensity in my life. I want you to have that level of authority over my life. The word astonished is by definition 
to be to strike with sudden and usually great wonder and surprise. I'm not a big English person. I'm you know, thankful for you guys as the treasure of this church. I'm a numbers guy, right? So I'm a numbers guy. I'm not, if I played a scramble match with, with Hugh Craddock, it'd be a quick match, and it wouldn't go my way. You know, he's, he's able to, like, he uses words sometimes in our elder meeting. I just write down, and I go home and Google, right? I just got to figure it out. That's not my strength. So the, as I'm preparing for this, what, the way that I want to kind of get deeper into it is I look at synonyms for a word that strikes my heart. And I want to know more about it. So I want to share with you some synonyms for this word astonish. It is amaze, astound, to floor, to rock, to shock, to startle, to stun, to stupefy. It says that was the reaction to his teaching. That was the reaction of the crowd that we see here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. They were amazed. They were floored, shocked at his teaching because the other teachers of religious law of the day did not teach with this authority. And as we move into Matthew 13, we'll have it up here as well. If you want to move to Matthew 13, we see this same type of reaction to his teaching when he returns to his hometown. But unfortunately, and where I want to talk this morning about is they go from that initial amazement and astonishment into something completely different a few verses later. So we're going to look at verses 53 through 58, and I'll read them. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So we see here in verse 54. It says that those that heard the teaching of Jesus in the synagogue of his hometown had that same exact type of reaction to those that crowded around and heard his teachings at the Sermon on the Mount. It's that same type of reaction. They were astonished. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? And so a question that I want to pause and ask of us today in my own life and in our own hearts, are we still today astonished and amazed by the teachings of Jesus? Is that our reaction when we get into the word and we start to read through it and it's teaching us, are we still amazed at it? Or do we kind of look at that and go, yeah, that, that's what he did back then. I'm kind of dull to it now doesn't really apply to me. So ask yourself that question. Are we still today astonished or amazed by the teaching of Jesus? Am I? Because I want to live a life that I, I, I get into the word with that type of lens. I know that, you know, to put this in a, in a little bit more of a demonstration, 
I know that when I'm amazed or astounded by something, when it just captures my, my attention, one of the first things that I do is that I slow down or I stop doing what I was doing and I give that thing my full attention. When something is that amazing, one of the things that I, I think of as I was preparing the message is, you know, I, we love to go to Florida. Anybody here like to go to Florida and see the sunset over the ocean, right? One of the most amazing things you can put eyes on. And I find myself when it comes to, you know, I look forward to that when I'm planning my trip. And a lot of times when I'm, when I'm going to go to the beach and watch the sunset or something like that, I want to invite everybody with me, right? You're about to see something amazing. I'm confident that it's amazing. You're going to see something that's just unbelievable. I plan my other activities around when I want to see the sunset. I don't want anything else to distract me. I want to, I want to be there. And I'm coming expecting it. I don't get distracted. I'm intentional about it. And if you've ever been around kids, you can tell when a kid gets excited about something, right? When they've seen something amazing. And, you know, same thing happens at our house when you'll see just an amazing, beautiful, paint-the-sky kind of sunset. A lot of times my kids are like, Dad, come, come look. And they're usually doing some type of Instagram, you know, kind of post about it kind of thing. And, you know, they're doing that so they can preserve that. But a lot of times my reaction is just kind of, I'm busy. I'm not interested in seeing that. I've seen that before. That doesn't mean that that's any less amazing. The problem is with my heart. The problem is how I'm looking at it, how I'm viewing it. When they come in, and especially when they were little, you could see a look on their face. There was excitement in their eyes. They can't wait to find you and share this amazing thing that they've experienced. Their amazement is clear, and they can't hide it, nor do they want to hide it. And the same is true of us when we're amazed by God. It's reflected in our lives. It's reflected in how we live. And I know in my own life, I want to keep this type of view of the word of God. I want to be in amazement of the teachings of Jesus and have that be reflected in my life. We see, however, though, there's a change in verse 57. This is how it starts, right? They, they're, they're just astounded and amazed by him. But by verse 57, it says that they took offense at him. These are the very same people who had the initial reaction just a short few verses later. They've become offended by him. How can that be? Well, there's a few things that I think we can unpack between that initial reaction and this one that says a lot about where they changed their view and a lot about we too can have that same type of behavior. At the core of it, Andrew talked about this a few weeks ago. We talked about wanting, as, as we as elders want this year to be a God-centered year, right? We want to live lives that are God-centered. We want our church to be God-centered. But at the core of this, in the beginning, when it's amazement and astounding, that's God-centered. It's recognition of his authority, who he is, and everything. And by the time it switches to offense, it becomes me-centered. 
They shift their focus from God-centered to me-centered. They begin to ask some questions, and you can see it in verse 55. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get these things? You see, the results of their questioning led to the teachings of Jesus not really making sense anymore. You can hear it in their questioning. Every question, every question that they start with where their views here, the question just kind of knocks it down a little. It knocks it down a little. It knocks it down a little. And there's three things that changed the way that they had their initial view to where they ended up. And these three things are still true in our lives, and I want to share with you them today. What changes in our heart to take amazement to the teaching of Jesus into offense? The first thing is pride. The people of Jesus' hometown were too proud to be taught by one that they took to be their equal or even inferior. The question of, was Jesus to be the one teaching these things? Does he really have authority? They were offended by such a common man from their hometown that who is he to teach? And a key point here that the Lord put on my heart is this. We are offended by God when he doesn't meet our expectations. That's where pride and arrogance kind of just well up. And it knocks down that view of amazement into offense. Who is who's he to tell me what to do? So pride is the first thing that gets in the way. The second is self-centeredness. God's ways don't make sense to a me-centered way of thinking. If, you're, if your thoughts are all about me, how to, you know, what, what about my thoughts? What about, what about what I want to do? What about, you know, I want this, I want that, me, me, me. Then God-centered doesn't connect with that. Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So pride gets in the way, self-centeredness gets in the way, and finally, ultimately, we see at the end here, unbelief. Unbelief is the greatest hindrance to Christ's favor. We see here in, at the end of Matthew 13, it says, he didn't do many great works because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief. And the thing is, just before this, Jesus, a couple chapters before, in Matthew eleven six, 6, Jesus addresses this idea of being offended by him. Matthew eleven six 6 says, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. That's Jesus saying, blessed is the person who doesn't get upset about how I run things. There's some humility there. But we are offended when God does not work things the way that we want them to. We're okay with God running our lives if he does things the way that we want. Which really means at the, the core of it, we're still in charge. 
God, I'm okay with you doing this if I had already planned on doing it. We're a church here that we, we say all the time, and it's a core thing for us, that we would be taught by the word, led by the spirit. That's who we are. That is an identity of us. Cobblestone is a church that is taught by the word and led by the spirit. And when it comes to being taught by the word, we need to allow our hearts to be searched, examined, and submitted while we're being taught. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When I looked at that scripture this week, I felt like the Lord speak to me just on the first word. All. All scripture. All scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching. However, we can find ourselves falling short of this when we read a scripture that we find to be offensive in a way. It's offensive because it conflicts with our own desires, with our own ideas, the way that we want to live our lives. So many times it conflicts with the way that we were raised and trained up. And we can take offense to that. And so what happens is we find ourselves taking parts of the very word of God that offend us and the way that we want to live our lives. We make the decision that we're just not going to apply that. We're not going to take that part. We take the all out. Those hard parts of scripture that reveal that we have something in our lives that we're holding on to that's contrary to the way God wants us to live. We can become offended by them and just say, I'm not going to use that for correction or training. I'm not interested in that. You see, this me-centered way of looking at the word and entering into the word and being taught by the word, me-centered does something that I refer to as cherry-picking. It goes into the word, and it just cherry-picks the things that we want to have applied to our lives, that we agree with, more so that they agree with the lives that we're already living. We don't want to change. That pride wells up. I, I know what I'm doing. I don't need that. But then the God-centered way of thinking is that the parts of the word that challenge the way we think and act and believe or live, and they're not aligned with what God wants or God desires, that we don't discard them. We don't discredit them. We repent. We submit. We don't cherry pick. We take all scripture. You can see, when, when we start to cherry pick the word of God and we say that, you know, we only want to do certain things, we become like those people of his hometown that initially were amazed and astounded, but then it's like, ouch, that, that doesn't align with what I want to do. Who's, who's God to say that? I know what I'm doing. I don't need that. And we become offended, and the offense then takes hold of our heart. We have a posture that says, how dare God speak to me about that area of my life? 
Why would he call me to change that part of my life? I've got this thing figured out. Does he really know better? And it can end with a couple views towards God. One being anger. And the other thing is resentful. When we take offense by what the word of God's teaching us, we can become angry and resentful towards God. The definition of offense is to arouse resentment, anger, or vexation, to be displeasing. An offense becomes a stumbling block. I know that in my own life, in practical ways, you know, when, somebody, when somebody offends me, you can feel that emotion welling up. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to say that probably in the last week, if you really thought long and hard about it, there's probably somebody, something that along your path offended you, right? It's a part of what we deal with every day. And how we respond or how we react to it is an indicator of our heart. I have to admit that at times when my kids offend me, what comes out of my mouth isn't the most pleasing thing. I'm not patient. I'm not kind at times. And that offense becomes a stumbling block because then it can create distance in the relationship between us. And so what I need to do then is I need to go repent. I need to surrender. I need to acknowledge that, yes, I was offended and I didn't do what I was supposed to do. We stumble in our obedience because there can be an arrogance or resentment to God when the word of God reveals areas of our lives or our heart that are not alignment with his. We just saw last week when we read through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus taught on areas of people's lives that would have been very sensitive areas. And that's what leads to the cherry picking, right? We see that he taught on salt and light, about the law, about anger, about lust, about divorce, revenge, loving our enemies. And the very word of God, it still teaches us about some very sensitive areas. The importance of money, how we spend our money, about sex outside of marriage, about how to treat others, about pride, about forgiveness. It goes into some very sensitive areas of our heart that if we're honest, can offend us because they're not in alignment with what we want. And so we can discard those. We can discredit those. We can choose how we want to receive the teachings of the word of God. We can either look at it with astonishment and amazement. And that leads to belief. It deepens our faith. It deepens our belief. Or we can look at it with offense. And that results in doubt. In unbelief. Unbelief does not lead to an abundant life. Unbelief diverts attention from the truth. We must be willing to allow him to work his ways and not put our restrictions on him. God wants faithfulness from us. God wants us to trust him fully. And I, I want to make a, a declaration up here that says that we, we all have these areas, right? We all have these stumbling blocks. We all have these things in our, in our lives. And they're different for each, each of us. 
So I want you to really think right now, what's yours? What's your area of your own life that can fall into unbelief or doubt? Really think about it. Take time to think, like, Lord, this. I take offense in this. I think I know better in this. What area of your life can fall into unbelief or doubt? We see shortly after Jesus' teaching in his hometown, as we move forward to Matthew 14, that there's this another example here of unbelief and doubt. And it's, it's just after Jesus feeds the 5,000, and it begins in verse 22 of Matthew 14. So let's read. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I want to focus on the very last bit there when they get back into the boat. When they get back into the boat and they have a recognition of who he is, it says that they worshipped him. The disciples who were just filled with fear, with questions, with doubt, they let go of those things and they responded with a changed heart. They worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And they worshiped him immediately. And I think that's important to understand because a lot of times we can have this, this type of reaction. It's, it doesn't say that they worshiped him after Jesus sat and explained to them exactly what had happened and they approved of his plan. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that they worshiped him once Jesus explained why they had to experience the storm. How many times in our own lives do we have that posture? I'll worship you. I'll follow you. I'll be amazed by you. As long as you fill in the blank. It's conditional. It's not fully. Jesus, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you everything. If you just explain, why, why did you do this? Why did I have to go through this? Why did this other person receive this when I wanted? Why? That becomes our condition of worship. But it says here that when you have the true, when they had the true view of who he was, they just worshiped him. They worshiped him in truth. 
And today, we're going to share in worshiping Jesus by remembering the sacrifice that he made for us. We're going to worship Jesus through taking communion. So I don't know if you guys received communion when you came in, but if you did, if you want to get these ready. If not, there's some along the side there, and I won't be offended if you go back out and get some. I won't think you're running, unless you take all your bags and coat with you, but that's all right. So if the worship team wants to come forward. We're going to worship him through sharing communion this morning. And we're going to recognize and acknowledge him for who he truly is. And the sacrifice that he willingly made for both you and for me. You see, we worship through communion as we celebrate the goodness of God. We worship through communion as we remember the goodness in sending his son to shed his blood for our sins. We remember with true astonishment and amazement the love of God. And as I said, as I started this, that sometimes we've got to set busyness to the side. And I want you to do that now. Really intentionally take a minute, and I'm going to pause in silence. As you hold the bread and the juice, and I want you to think deeply about how God loved us so much that he sent his son. That he sent his son to die for me and for you. And I want you to take this time to evaluate your heart. And I want you to repent if you've lost the amazement of who he is. Let this be a time to examine our hearts. Thank you, Father, for this sacrifice. May I remember it well. May I remember it with amazement. Not just today, but every day. Lord, I repent of my dullness. I repent if I've not taken your word as all. Lord, may your word and your blood impact every day of my life. And as we pause to remember, may it lead me to draw into a deeper love for you. You loved us so much. May we love you back by offering all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength.
Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And as we close... I want to share a teaching of Jesus from Matthew 13, 44, in which I pray will become our hearts this morning. I want to pray that you remain in that posture of remembering well. I want us to have hearts that will willfully and joyfully surrender all. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.